the best conference in all of college basketball, has precisely zero of its top 10 scores returning to the same school next season. Is that going to hurt the Big 12? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoops show out there. Hard to believe we are less than a week away from the NBA draft. Crazy stuff. I'm your host today, Isaac Shade, and man, it is good to be together to wrap up the week. Coming up on the show today, we learned about Marquette's non-conference schedule yesterday. want to unpack that for you. Uh, it is loaded. Also, we got some updates on some rules changes uh, for this upcoming season, and one of them I am very excited about. We'll look at all of that in just a little bit. But before we get to that, I was just doing a little scouring around because I forget which conference it was, which of the Power Six conferences, but it hit me like, oh man, I think a lot of that conference's top scores from last season are not returning. I think it was the ACC, actually. So I looked it up and I was like, my goodness, they got a lot of dudes not coming back. So let, let me start there. I know I said I was alluding to the Big 12 in the cold open, but since this is what got me going on it, the ACC's top 10 scores last season were Tyree Appleby from Wake Forest. He's turning pro. Terquavion Smith from NC State turning pro. L. Ellis from Louisville transferring to Arkansas. Jarkel Joyner was number fourth from NC State. He's pro. Caleb Love from North Carolina going to uh, yeah, Arizona. Joe Girard from Syracuse. He's back in the ACC, but he's going to Clemson. Grant Basile from Virginia Tech, pro. Judah Mintz from Syracuse, number eight on this list. He is coming back for the Orange. That's great. Isaiah Wong from Miami turning pro. And then number 10, RJ Davis from North Carolina. He is coming back as well. So as I looked at it, the ACC only has two of their top 10 scores returning next season to the same school where they were at. And those guys were number eight and 10 on the scoring list. So none of the top seven scores from the ACC are returning to their same school next season. So you've got obviously one in Gerard transferring, but are staying in the ACC, but transferring to a different school. You've got two transfers out. That's L. Ellis and Caleb Love going to the SEC and Pac-12, respectively. And then five other players who are either turning pro or just out of eligibility, so they're going pro. And so that's pretty crazy for the ACC. Now, there's a whole host of guys waiting in the wings to step right up into that. Kyle Filipowski, I think, is going to take a massive leap for Duke. Armando Baycott, the preseason ACC player of the year last year, was 11th in the ACC in scoring. You got a whole host of other guys. Blake Hinson from Pittsburgh, for example, who was just really close in that mix last year. Jamarius Burton's gone for Pitt. I think he takes a big leap forward. There's probably some, oh, let's not forget Hunter Salas transferring from Gonzaga to be that next guy in line at Wake Forest following Alondis Williams and Tyree Appleby. So, uh, I, you know, there's always guys that are going to replace it, but it's interesting that ACC has zero of their uh, top five scores essentially back at their same school next year. You got to go all the way down to Joe Girard to get a player that's even staying in the ACC. So I went through and did this for after that each of the Power Six conferences. So um, alphabetically, ACC 
Big 12, Big East, Big 10, SEC, and Pac-12. And it's kind of, you know, the conferences are all in different places, but none of them have more than six of their top 10 scores from last season returning to the same school. But the Big 12, the best conference in basketball last year, has zero, zero players from the Big 12 are returning to their same school. Isn't that wild? Um, so we're going to have a whole new top 10 this year. There is one one transfer that is staying in conference, but going to a different school. And then the other nine are all either turning pro early or out of eligibility. So let me run you through the Big 12, because this is really interesting to me. You got Jalen Wilson, number one last year in the Big 12 from Kansas, going pro. Mike Miles, TCU, number two, going pro. Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson, both from K-State, are three and four on this list. Gone. Grant Sherfield, Oklahoma, gone. Marcus Carr, Texas, out of eligibility. Adam Flagler, Baylor, staying in the draft. Number eight, Eric Stevenson, West Virginia, pro. And Keontae George, Baylor, number nine, staying, obviously, in the draft and turning pro. And then 10th in the Big 12 in scoring last year was LJ Cryer from Baylor, He's not going back to Baylor, but he is transferring to Houston, who's now coming into the Big 12. So you do technically have one top 10 score from the Big 10 or Big Big 12 last year, excuse me, coming back to the conference. Pretty crazy stuff. As you look around the other four, we've already touched on obviously ACC and Big 12. That let's stay on that lower end of there's three conferences. Uh, we've already talked ACC and Big 12. The other is the SEC that's returning hardly any of its top 10 scoring, 10 top 10 scores from last year either. You got two returning. That's Wade Taylor from AM, who was fourth, and Tolu Smith from Mississippi State, who was eighth. Outside of that, the others are the other eight are all turning pro either by choice or by out of eligibility. Brandon Miller, KJ Williams, LSU, Oscar Sheboy, Kentucky, third gone. Ricky Council, Colin Castleton, Kobe Brown, Gigi Jackson, and Demoy Hodge, all turning pro. So that's that low end. ACC, uh, SEC, and Big 12 returning hardly any of their high-level scoring. So, you know, I mean, obviously that's going to be replaced, but you got whole new faces, and you wonder what that does to some of these brands. Whereas in the Big 10 and Big East, You've got five, exactly half of your top 10 scores from last season returning. And in the Pac-12, you got six of your top 10 scores from last year coming back. That's so good for these conferences. Now, for the of those three that are at the top, Pac-12, still, I just don't see them making too much noise nationally as a conference this year. Um, I think UCLA takes a step back. But as for the the other two teams at the upper tier of returning top scorers, I think this is big for conferences that we're already projecting to to be big, like Big East. I think it's going to be phenomenal again this year. And they get back, again, exactly half of their top 10 scores. Let me list them off for you. The ones coming back, interestingly, though, none of the top four Big East scores are coming back. The highest uh, returning score is Ryan Kalkbrenner from Creighton who, you know, was one of those last-minute decisions to come out of the NBA draft. He was fifth last year coming back. But then 7 through 10 in Big East uh, in scoring were all, and this isn't just Big East or conference scoring solely. Uh, it is uh, 
all scoring all season. But Bryce Hopkins, Providence coming back. Eric Dixon, Nova coming back. Joel Soriano, St. John's coming back. And then Cam Jones from Marquette, who I think is going to have a great year, is coming back. So that was seven through 10. The guys not coming back uh, that were in that top 10 from the Big East, number one through four was Sonogo from UConn, Sule Boom from X, Jordan Hawkins also from UConn, and Primo Spears from Georgetown, who's going to Florida State. And then the only other top 10 Big East scorer who's not coming back is Umoja Gibson from DePaul. Looking, let's go. I mean, since we've hit them all, let's go ahead and hit the Pac-12 and Big Ten while we're at it. Pac-12, as I said, you got six guys coming back. So the four that aren't returning that were top 10 scorers are Azulis Tabellis, who led the conference, turned pro, and Jaime Jaquez second. Same thing. You move further down the list. TJ Bamba was eighth at Washington State last year. He's transferring to Villanova, talking about the Big East. And then Mo Gouye from Washington State also is turning pro. Those six coming back, you got Keon Brooks from Washington, who was third. Boogie Ellis returning to USC. Boy, that's going to be a fun team. We just learned on Thursday they and Gonzaga, it looks like, are going to play next year. That'll be fun. Uh, Brandon Carlson from Utah, and then both De Silva and Simpson from Colorado. And then 10th in scoring last year from the Pac-12 that's coming back is Umar Balo from Arizona. And then finally, in the Big Ten, we get half of the Big Ten's leading top 10 scorers back, including the player of the year, the number one scorer in the Big Ten from last year. No surprise there, Zach Eady. And then two through five are all pro or transferring. That's TJD from Indiana going pro, Chris Murray going pro from Iowa. Fourth in scoring last year was Hunter Dickinson, who's obviously going to Kansas. And then Jalen Pickett from Penn State going pro. After that, uh, four of the last five are all coming back. Boo Booey was number six, coming back to Northwestern next year. Terrence Shannon was seventh, coming back to Illinois. And then Bryce Sensabaugh from Ohio State was eight. Obviously, he's going pro. And then you round it off with Jameer Young from Maryland and Dawson Garcia from Minnesota all coming back. So going to be really interesting to watch this, see how these trends play out as we continue on in the transfer portal era and in the NIL era. Does NIL keep more of these guys around. I, I haven't gone back. Maybe I should go back and do looking at this from recent years to see how these numbers um, contextually line up or don't line up with what's happened in recent years. So anyway, just some really interesting stuff there. Uh, just thought all of that movement in and out would would be curious to see what that means for different conferences. Obviously for the Big 12, as we said, a complete reload. Now, coming up, we got Marquette's non-conference schedule that came out on Thursday. We got the Big East reigning conference tournament champions and regular season champions. How do they look next year? Boy, it is loaded. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, this episode of Locked on College Basketball, it's brought to you by our friends at Bird Dogs. Y'all don't know how to say it, so I'm just going to keep it simple. Bird Dog shorts and pants just make you look Good. These stretch khaki shorts give you this truly sculpted look in your legs. Bird dogs do exactly what Lululemon does, but they fit way better. Part of it with these khakis, for example, is that they've invented cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but it stretches so you can get a slimmer fit without having to sacrifice freedom of movement. Bird dogs also uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all year long all day long 
man, I really need that in the summer. Ain't nobody trying to get that nasty smell. So if you want to get in on this, go to birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. Again, that's birddogs.com slash locked on college for that free Yeti style tumbler. You're not going to want to take your bird dogs off this summer. I promise you that. All right, let's turn our attention back to the Big East. We just talked about them a little bit ago. As we do so, I want to remind you that the Locked On um, NBA Mock Draft is out right now. It, it dropped into our feed, so if you're either listening or watching, you can see it there. And um, So make sure to go check that out. Six episodes, five picks each, just the first round. And I actually had the honor of being on the anchor desk for this as part, uh, you know, kind of being the college voice in it. So it was a lot of fun. Would really encourage you to check it out. Let us uh, know what terrible picks that the um, hosts of our NBA shows made and which ones you agree with. All right. Marquette's non-con schedule. Just to kind of square it up, we have 31 regular season games that you can get and um to, for the big east they have 20 conference games there's 11 teams in the big east so i love it because they play a true um home and home round robin um each school home and away and now they're the only one of like the power conferences because now that the big 12 has added they're not doing that so you got those 20 games that leaves you 11 for the non-conference and so we're just with conference games getting more and more and more our non-con games are getting fewer and fewer. So um, it, it's always interesting to see how teams do it. Now, Shaka Smart and Marquette, they are loading up because they're expecting, you know, I mean, they've basically gotten back everyone other than Omax Prosper and they're ready to show America what they can do. Last year, they kind of caught everyone by surprise. That ain't happening this year. So let's get into this non-conference schedule. Folks, this is tough and I love it. I love Shaka Smart challenging himself and his team. Now, obviously, you're going to have a few games that you look at. And it's like, really? But as difficult as some of these games are going to be, you have to be able to fill out like your home schedule with a, a few buy games and games in which you can get your team some experience. So you'll hear a couple of those sprinkled in, but it's not many. It is not many for Marquette. Starting the season on November 6th against Northern Illinois at home, and then four days later on November 10th, hosting Ryder, whatever. Again, those are some of those bye games. But then we get right into a difficult schedule. Seven of these 11 games are very tough. The uh, Marquette travels to Illinois on November 14th for the Gavit tip-off game, so that's going to be tough there. Remember, we just talked about Illinois getting back Terrence Shannon and um man gonna be tough and so gonna have to watch out for that from there maui this maui bracket is loaded with probably four top preseason top 10 teams maybe five maybe six preseason top 25 teams. i mean it's just Wow. So let me list off these games. You got Marquette, obviously. Chaminade, it's their year. They don't play every year now, Chaminade, but it is their year to be on. So the other six outside of Marquette and Chaminade, you ready for this? Kansas, probably preseason number one. Purdue, if not preseason two or three, they're definitely top five. Tennessee, who's going to be right in that mix for a top 10, maybe top 15. Gonzaga, same thing as Tennessee. 
Um, UCLA going to take a little step back this year, but should be good. And then Syracuse, obviously a team a program in transition next season, stepping away from the Bayheim era. But, um, you know, I mean, it's Syracuse, that zone you always got to prepare for. So this this is I haven't looked at every multi MTE multi-team event for this upcoming season, but it's going to be hard pressed to find a field more loaded than what Maui's going to be. So buckle up folks. That's November 20th through 22nd. If, I mean, honestly, if Marquette, depending on if they draw Chaminade or not, if they can go two and one, you got to feel good about that. I mean, there's going to be a really good basketball team that goes one and two, even zero and three in this, depending on how things play out. So just, Man, be ready for Maui. Go ahead and put that on your calendar. Now, coming back after Maui, um, which is that right over Thanksgiving? I haven't even looked um, at what the Thanksgiving dates are. I'm looking ahead on my calendar right now. Thanksgiving is on the 23rd. So Maui is Monday through Wednesday of um, Thanksgiving week there. Okay, let's get right back to the schedule. After Maui, um, Marquette comes home, gets a little bit of a break. They'll host Southern on November 28th. Then they go to Wisconsin on November, uh, November, December 2nd, kind of that um, in in state uh, rivalry that they do every year. But then, oh, this is the one I'm circling on my I mean, Maui is going to be loaded, but I cannot wait for this matchup. You ready? December 6th, Texas is coming to Marquette. That's right. Texas is coming to face off against Shaka Smart. Uh, who obviously was the coach of the Longhorns for six seasons. So that should be a lot of fun. And then a couple days later, hosting Notre Dame. This is the last game of a home and home. That'll be on December 9th. And then wrapping up non-con with St. Thomas on December 14th. We don't have the 20 games yet of the Big East schedule, so we'll watch out for that. But outside, I mean, looking at this schedule, I think you got to assume Marquette's going to get those four by games. So let's call that 4-0. But then you look at, at Illinois, three games at Maui, and depending on whether you get Chaminade or not, at Wisconsin, host Texas, host Notre Dame, who is just coming out of the Mike Bray era. Texas has what I think is a really strong starting five. The depth beyond that is a little questionable at this point. We'll continue to see. I, man, yeah, I mean, if you're, Marquette, I feel like it is a massive win if you could go five and two in those seven games. Uh, probably beating Notre Dame at home, but I mean you got to go to Wisconsin, to Illinois, the Maui games. Host, yeah, I'm gonna say if if you can go overall, including those four by games, if you could go nine and two, maybe even eight and three. I think that's a great spot for Marquette to be coming out of the non-conference portion of the season. Anything to, I mean, 10 and one, 11, no, that's just greedy. I just don't, I mean, you're going to get knocked off at some point. That's just how it is. Now, additionally from, and, and I'd love to know whether you're, if you're a Marquette fan really want to hear from you, but any other college basketball fans, let's hear from you. What do you think that Marquette is going to do with this schedule? Now, uh, Marquette is continuing on with what they did last year. Uh, you might be aware teams are allowed to play two either um, exhibition or secret scrimmages. You can kind of divide that up. Marquette last year didn't do any exhibition game, did two not-so-secret scrimmages. You know, we, I guess we can kind of call them closed scrimmages now. 
Um, and they're going to do that again. We'll play two of them. Also, they have a foreign tour in Italy, August 3rd through 13th to help prepare them again for this gauntlet of a non-conference schedule. And not to mention big East is going to be a gauntlet itself of those, that true round Robin home and home with the other 10 teams of the big East. So uh, Marquette has a journey in front of them, but they're going to be battle tested and ready come March madness. So uh, I'm really, really curious to see what happens here. And that's part of why I wanted to talk about it. Now, one of the things that's going to be part of this upcoming season, as every year, is some rule changes. One of which is the biggest one of the offseason. Then we got a couple experimental ones to look at as well. I'm going to share these with you in just a second. All right, rule changes for the upcoming season. The biggest one and the one I'm looking most forward to is an update to block charge scenarios involving defenders around the basket. Let me just read you the verbiage from the NCAA's um, press release about this. Quote, under the new rule, a defender will have to be in position to draw a charge, and here's what you need to catch, at the time an offensive player plants a foot to go airborne to attempt a field goal. If the defender arrives after the offensive player plants a foot to launch toward the basket, officials will be instructed to call a block when contact occurs between the two players. Woof. So you might be wondering, okay, how's that different but from before? Maybe you uh, just don't remember or, or didn't know. Um, previously, defenders had to be in position to draw a charge before the offensive player went airborne. So this backs it up further, if that kind of makes sense, earlier in the action by the offensive player. So now it's about um, you have to be in position to draw the charge at the time the offensive player plants their foot to launch, basically. Whereas previously, it's just like before they go airborne. So now we're backing it up a, a millisecond or a second or whatever it is. Um, and then a quote from this release as well. Uh, a secondary defender would still have to be outside the restricted arc to legally draw a charge. So keep that in mind as well. Anyway, with this with this block charge updated definition, I think it's fantastic. We have to keep working at this because I think block charge calls, and I'm sure you all agree with me as well, are probably the most poorly adjudicated part of college basketball games. We have to get these better refereed. And, and I think this is going to help do that at, because it moves the action further away from the point of contact between the two players. And I feel like there's maybe less of a gray area. It's like, no, it's got to be before they plant. Right. And so you're just watching for that foot to go down basically is how I'm looking at it. If I'm a referee, I'm sure they're going to be, you know, get all their training on what they're looking for, what their eye is catching that I probably need to talk, see if we can get a referee to, to talk some about it with us. But um, now I don't think you can weed, weed out, fully weed out every bad block charge call, but I do think this is going to help. Um, to where, again, the earlier movement being called, I think, is important and helpful. So, as always, we'll, we'll keep our eyes on it. We'll see what actually happens when the season starts. 
Are they, you know, because my guess is that they're going to be really hawkish with it at the beginning of the season. And then it always just seems to get a little bit more lax as we get into conference play. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see what happens. There are many, many, many other rules updates, but there are four others that are kind of notable to me that I thought were either important or just kind of funny or interesting. Uh, the, so the next one I want to point out involves goaltending and basket interference. So here's the quote from the press release quote, officials will be able to review goaltending basket interference calls during the next media timeout to ensure the calls were accurate as long, this is important, as long as the official calls it on the floor. So there has to be some sort of call made that can be reviewed. And I hope that doesn't mess things up kind of like fumbles in football where it's like, Hey, go ahead and call it a fumble and then we'll see what happens. Well, sometimes that messes it up because there's not enough video evidence to figure it out. So just keep that in mind. It also says if there is a foul on the shooter while the ball is in the air with a goaltend basket interference, the review would be immediate so as for to allow the referees to properly adjudicate any potential free throws. So. Um, if there's a call made, it will review it when we go to break. If it involves free throws, there will be an immediate review to make sure we get the right thing. Now, here's the thing for me. I, I feel like this shouldn't be this hard. Why can we not? I, I, I've been asking this for years. Why can we not simply hang a camera directly over the cylinder? And maybe even, you know, like get some of that technology like uh, what's on courts at Wimbledon or what they're going to start doing with first down markers with lasers and stuff and just have a laser, maybe even come off up the top of the basket. If the ball intersects it at the time, the hand is touching it basket interference or, you know what I'm saying? Like there's gotta be ways we can do this more efficiently and effectively and have better camera angles on it instead of trying to have to like look around and see if you got it. Anyway, next one up, two, three more that I want to mention. Under two-minute reviews, uh, and the thing is, here's the quote from the NCAA's release. Under two minutes, when a coach requests an out-of-bounds play to be reviewed, the team will be charged a timeout if the original call is not overturned. I really like this one because I feel like coaches have started to use this as a tactical advantage, and hey, if, if it's within the rules, knock yourselves out. I don't blame you. I would be doing the same thing. But I don't think that it's within the spirit of what is trying to be accomplished. And so I'm glad the NCAA is updating this. Like, hey, you're, you're fine to get us to go look at that. But if you're requesting it and you're wrong, timeout is gone. Now, obviously, it's not always going to have to be the coach requesting it. You're going to have times when the referee, like how often do we see at end of games now, anything that's even remotely like e, the ref makes a call and immediately makes the sign like, hey, we're going to go review it. So, I, I mean, we we won't we'll still see plenty of ref initiated of these, but the coach ones, they're going to have to be more um, careful with when they make these decisions to ask for a review because it's not just carte blanche to do it anymore. So I love that. Now, uh, speaking of timeouts, um, I believe this is a reversal. Um, back to a previous time. Here's the quote from this one. A timeout will be able to be granted when a player has possession of the ball, even though the player is airborne. And then in, in uh, parentheses, an example would be a player grabbing a loose ball and calling timeout before landing out of bounds 
close parentheses, end quote. <laughs> now, am I right in remembering this? It used to be this way. And five, six, seven, eight years ago, they changed it where you had to be planted on the ground before calling a timeout. I feel like you used to be able to fly through the air and call a timeout. I, I go back and forth on this. And what, what do you think, folks? Do you like having the, the in-the-air timeout available as long as you have possession of the ball? Or would you rather say, like, ah, that's kind of cheap. I want them to have to have at least tippy-toes in or something. I feel like I lean towards I don't like this one as much, but it is it, it does make for interesting basketball. And then the final one, this one's just kind of funny that I want to point out, is players will now be allowed to wear basically any jersey number, zero through 99. Basically, college basketball has kept it to, you know, things under five or whatever with the uh, singles digit. But um, and I guess with the tens digit as well. So you couldn't like go above 55. Now you can whatever. Yeah, we're going to have people doing all sorts of silly things and it'll be fun to watch for. Now, very quickly on the way out two experimental roles for 23-24 as well. Uh, quote, to continue the experimental rule with the standard media timeout format in the second half is going to be first dead ball under 17, 14, 11, 8, and 4 for any interested conference as well as in the NIT. So this is just for the second half. You might or might not be aware, media timeouts come at under 16, 12, 8, and 4. So this new rule is going to add a defined media timeout. There's like one other floating one in the second half uh, for the media but um, so now instead of 16, 12, 8, and 4, it's 17, 4, or excuse me, 17, 14, 11, 8. So those are like every three minutes and then down to four. So then you've got a four minute gap at the end. So this is just any conference that wants to try it. In fact, the OVC Ohio Valley Conference did it last year. So there you go. The other one is in the NIT, we're going to widen the lane from 12 feet that it is now to the NBA width of 16 feet in the lane that's just essentially going to continue to open things up render front court players who like to hang out by the rim even more useless and give more freedom and opportunity for backcourts to drive so all sorts of interesting rules things there folks thanks so much for joining us this week on locked on college basketball man it's been awesome to be together love to have conversations um always great content from andy cannot wait till monday when he and i are back together it's nba draft week next week and so can't wait for that make sure again you check out the locked on nba mock draft you everydayers thanks for being with us if you're not an everydayer come on come in the water it's fine Please, if you would, make sure to subscribe to the show, smash the like button, and leave comments on your thoughts. As always, apologies to the lawyer family. Go Wildcats. And until Monday, peace. Peace.